Okay. I lied. Kinda. I know. I know. Last week I told you all that we'd be talking about something dark, something dangerous, something gross, and something sexy. But as this is a new show and it's still evolving, this week we're going to be trying a new format where uh, each episode just kind of follows a theme with similar stories. On tonight's show, Something Strange, Part 1, we're going to be introducing you all to the world of the overnight and some of the strange things we encounter both inside and outside the guard. From a strange find in the middle of a dark rural road to a strange surprise from above in a busy downtown, along with just some of the stuff we deal with driving overnight. So, go ahead and buckle up and double check the destination. This is Driving After Dark. Hey folks, you're listening to the Driving After Dark podcast. Me? I'm an eight-year driver with tens of thousands of rides who drives almost exclusively in the Denver metro. And just about every night, I'll get asked, so what's your craziest ride? But with, with, with so many stories, that's a hard question to answer. I mean, what kind of a story do you want? Dark? Sexy? Funny? Those weird coincidences that, 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 that shouldn't happen, but totally do all the time. The grossest pukers, the, the worst Karens and kickouts. So this podcast pretty much answers all those burning questions and, and just about any other burning question you guys might have. Like the airline folks do, we call you PAX. It's short for passengers. I'm your host, Julian Ray. Thanks for stopping by. Let's go ahead and get into this. The following episode is going to have themes of death and dying, and some bad words. Just a heads up in case you're not into that kind of thing. Listener discretion is advised. You know, I think for people who go to sleep during the night and wake up in the morning, it's common to assume that the whole world is asleep too, right? Or that the uh, the overnight is occulted because they don't see it. Like like it's kind of a dark secret time where the unknown happens, full of shady characters and oddball experiences. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not gonna say that doesn't happen. I mean that's what that's what we're doing here, right? But I'm asked all the time, like, what kind of traffic is actually happening at night? Most people assume that the night goes like straight from the bar crowd and then switches over to the airport rides, which is not quite true. It's obviously the night starts with the bar crowd, or, or really the dinner crowd, if we're being honest. An overnight driver can start at like 5 or 6 p.m. And, and finish anywhere in the window between then and 5 a.m., depending on their driving endurance, of course, which we'll get into in another episode. But you have to think. Up to last call, the rush is pretty straightforward. I mean, dinners, bars, date nights, home, and so on. The bar crowd here in Denver, they'll shut it down like around 2.30ish, depending on the day of the week and how intense the night was, of course. 
you've usually got a small window to grab some coffee or eat, and then around 3 a.m., you have like this uh, parade of overnight traffic starting. The bartenders and servers and managers and cooks all have to go home, right? And we're talking after side work and usually like an after work shifty or three, uh, starting usually at three. Then you've got those folks shifting from house to house where they realize how late it is. Walks of shame, strides of pride, you know, depending on how the date went, I guess. You've got car runs, obviously, where folks have to get back to or even find their cars. Uh, I've driven in circles before for some people trying to remember where they parked, clicking their clicker as we drive around. After hours, spots stay open until 6 sometimes, and, and that's a constant steady flow on the weekends if you want it. Well, there's a crying woman with her bags three times a week. Maybe the silent dude with his phone blowing up and a, and a mysterious basket of unwashed laundry and random belongings because, because nobody breaks up at noon, let's be honest here. It's not a thing. Scooter accident, hospital runs, and pickups. Yeah, well, that's a thing. Bakers and baristas have to go to work, and that'll start up for them around 4 a.m. usually. There's a first and third shift changeover in the, in the blue-collar world, especially in the warehouses on the outskirts of downtown. Halfway house folks need to get to work, and that's often pretty early for them. The airport runs uh, typically start around 3.30 or 4, and most often it's going to be to the train station first. And by 5 or 6 a.m., you're pretty much into the morning and at the end of your shift, probably. Most humans are diurnal. That means that most drivers aren't about that life either, so... So the uh, midnight warriors, as we say, typically go home by then, 2.30 a.m. or so after the bar rush and probably dozens of cups of coffee. And since the streets are pretty much left to the true nocturnals, that makes most overnights just as busy as any day from that point on. Okay, so the first story of the night is going to be from the same year as the last story of the night, which is going to be the second year of the you-know-what. And my first year back to driving, after taking a year off to avoid the close quarters of rideshare and move to food delivery. And let me ex explain that for a second. You see, for that year, uh, food delivery and grocery delivery kind of let me have some control over my space because I wasn't so sure I wanted to be hot boxing with strangers during the lockdowns. So, and plus, you know, food was in high demand. So basically you end up in a situation where you're pretty much alone, honestly. I mean, 
you're picking up food and it's set out for you. You are in your car talking to yourself because you haven't spoken to a person for a minute. And then you're dropping off the food. You turn around and that shit has gone like like an imp kind of popped out and took it. So you're you're in full control of your social distance, but you're getting a lot of it. And it should be said that, you know, not only was um, was the gig weird for me, but but social interaction and I was awkward. I was super awkward. Uh, all of my passengers were awkward. Uh, nobody knew how to talk to each other, and and more importantly, like nobody knew how to uh, interact with the world anymore. So so you were seeing all kinds of strange shit out there, and I guess this is no no exception. But you know, I I'm kind of getting off track here. This is kind of the story about a well. How do, I, how do I put this? Uh, a dude I'm, I met first. Uh, it's about a guy that fell from the sky. All right. It was actually pretty early in the night, for, for an overnight, maybe 12 a.m. I, I was near the corner of Stout and 15th Streets here in Denver, a pretty populated area with, with, with several hotels, a large pool hall, a, a popular strip club, and uh, several more hotels kind of on the way, all in the same tight little area. It was a Thursday, which can easily be kind of a Friday Eve, more or less, here in the Mile High. So it wasn't like people weren't around or anything. Me, I was just kind of driving in a zone. My focus is right in front of me. Well, obviously, because I'm moving. Well, at the risk of getting a little too specific about Denver, I'm driving down 15th towards Stout, jamming my tunes, focusing on the road ahead of me thinking about the next ride, and then I see a, a pair of, of feet floating down in front of my windshield from the top. Just... I was in no way expecting pedestrian traffic from above. I literally see two boots, like, floating down into my field of view from the top of my windshield. I almost hit these feet. Like in the second or two, it probably took me to register that, yes, those are boots coming in from the sky. Like I got a little too close and, and I snapped out of my little moment and slammed on the brakes right as the feet, which now revealed some legs, uh, pretty much clumsily fell on, on my front bumper and then onto the ground in front of my front bumper. I strained to kind of look up through the windshield at the sky, then see all the fabric come down around him and blanket the whole area, front of the car included. And I realized it's a fucking guy in a parachute, like a full on parachute, falling right into downtown traffic on just like a regular downtown party night. And the timing of when he fell was so that, that I was inches away, not just from seeing him at all, but but I mean, had I been paying a little less attention, no brake check, my guy would have been, he would have been in, in a very different situation, right? I keep looking up at where he came from, like 
trying to figure out how in the fuck? So the man comes all the way down. The parachute kind of coming down with him. Dude pretty much eating it. It was, it was a hard come down. Then he gets up without even reacting to the fact that I almost ran him over, using my bumper to kind of ride himself, you know? And then, and then just kind of starts gathering up his parachute. Well, and runs the fuck off. Looking around like a man on the run or something. But again, this dude didn't even acknowledge me or, or the car that almost ran him over. Not a wave, not a sorry, nothing. Just gone down the alley alongside this hotel by the dumpsters. Freaking disappears. So I'm left just kind of sitting there in the street like an asshole. And I start looking around for cameras, you know? Because I mean, maybe I'm being pranked. Maybe I'm on YouTube or something. Like, is this a prank, bro? I'm looking up at where he came from, too, to see if there was a plane or someplace else he could have, he could have come down from. But I got nothing. I mean, you know, explanations were needed, man. Well, nobody walked up and asked me to sign a release or anything, and by now, I'm just still kind of processing what I saw. And after taking a breath, I move on with the night. <laughs> because what the hell else am I going to do, right? Sheesh. time since that hotel's been finished and i've thought about it i mean maybe a base jumper that would explain why he got out of there so fast probably but i can't tell you how out of the blue it is to be driving downtown and just seeing feet drift down in front of your car from above and i always wished i'd had my dash cam set up at the time it would have made for great video but I hadn't quite gotten that set up yet. This next story is from years before. It's a little darker. It's about a strange encounter in the road taking passengers into a rural new development area outside of the city about an hour after last call. And it's what looked to be a, well, a dead guy. This couple was your average couple out on an average date night and we had been engaged in what had been a fairly deep conversation about something philosophical, stemming from a question about, well, you guessed it, my, my craziest ride. I had only been driving for about three or four years at this point and I certainly had some stories. However, then it wasn't an overwhelming amount of stories. So it, it was much easier to bring up a couple when I got the question. We were somewhere, somewhere north of the city where the landscape hadn't quite decided yet between suburban and rural with one side of the street blanketed in new home developments and the other just kind of fields, you know, as far as you could see. 
And the vibe of the ride is upbeat. Every, everybody's chatting, having fun. They're, they're cuddling in the back. And it, it was then that my headlights illuminated something up ahead, like in the road on the opposite side that we were, we were coming on. As we got closer and slowed down to kind of get a look, because they noticed it too, we could, we could make out what appeared to be uh, like a motorcycle. It, it was just laying on its side in the road, headlight on. All of us were trying to make sense of it when the guy realized that there was another, darker clump, like a pile of clothes or a bag or something, about 10 feet ahead of the motorcycle. slow the car to a stop and roll down the window and now we can see that that clump uh, was a person. I put the car in neutral and pulled up the brake as the woman jumps out and the man gets on his phone to call 911. I get out too. This man was motionless, leg twisted in a direction it should not have been twisted in. It wasn't clear if this had just happened or if he'd been there for a while. It also wasn't clear if he was alive or not. We stood around him, not sure about what to do just yet. Should we help him out of the road? Should we move him at all? She reaches down to check for a pulse as her husband gets out of the car to join us, explaining to the, the 911 operator what we'd come across. Two other cars driving by had stopped alongside the road with us, somebody on a paper route and a mom and her teenage daughter headed home at 3 a.m. for some reason. And all of a sudden, he, he stirs and starts to get up. Of course, of course, the whole crowd is like, no, 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 you, you stay right there. You, he, he should stay, stay still, right? He shouldn't. The cops are on their way. Just, just lie there, okay? Are you okay? The moment he hears that, he sits up on his butt and looks around at us like pretty dazed. He's scratched up, he's bruised, I, and I don't know what's going on with his leg, but at least he's alive, which we weren't all that sure about driving up on him. He's a super skinny dude, short, shaggy hair, wearing jorts, you know, jean shorts, a short-sleeved summer button-down shirt with a bare chest underneath, ornate fake leather cowboy boots, you know, Basic motorcycle safety gear, of course. Then, in that dazed state, he tries to stand up. So I kneel down and I hold him down by the shoulders. Just, just firmly enough, you know? He was probably in shock and not completely aware of that leg situation. We all thought it would be best if he just kind of sat there until the cops and ambulance came. I tell you, the way he looked at me, you'd think that I was the one who crashed his bike. That man hated me right then. He demands to be let up. I'm not sure what to do here, but I continue just holding him, kind of kneeling and pressing down on his shoulders so that he couldn't actually move. But I'm not committing to it because I'm, I'm not sure if I need to just let him do what he's got to do or, or just keep him where he is for his own good. And he keeps trying to, to twist up and get up on that leg. 
much to the protest of everybody standing in that circle around the dude. He finally makes it to like a standing position, and yeah, his leg is not something he should be standing on. He's hopping on the other one now, you know, hopping with all of us in sort of a uncertain semicircle, and is actually trying to get back on his bike, but he but he doesn't have the leverage or the equilibrium or the strength to, to actually pick it up. Then the cops and the ambulance arrive in one of the most phenomenal response times I think I've ever seen. The first cop on the scene pulls up, gets out of his car, and the officer walks up to all of us, still surrounding this guy while he's balancing and quasi-hopping on the one good leg, and he asks us, specifically him, uh, what happened here? The first cop on the scene pulls up, gets out of his car, and he's got this kid with him for some reason. Like, remember it's 3 a.m., so, so you're not really used to seeing kids at this time. He's young, brown kid, on some sort of a ride-along or something, and the officer walks up to all of us, still surrounding this guy while he's balancing and quasi-hopping on the one good leg, and he asks us, specifically him, uh, what happened here? The crowd simultaneously points at him and all say, pretty much at the same time in our own ways, uh, that he was here when we got here. So the cop takes a look back at the motorcycle and then kind of focuses in on him. Uh, so uh, what happened here tonight, sir? Dead motorcycle guy focuses in on me again for some reason, and that's when it became clear how drunk he was. Uh, all, right, all right, so so I, so I was... Um, so he was he was uh, he was he was driving me driving me home and and and, <laughs> and I'm like no uh, no 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 you weren't in my car man no, no those are my passengers right there I, I told the cop pointing over to the couple uh, I told him we we pretty much just rolled up saw the overturned bike saw him and stopped and called them pretty much right away you know the other five witnesses corroborated. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 you're not going to pull me into your shit, man. I realize now why he was in such a hurry to get the fuck out of there. The cop then asks, with the flashlight pointed right at the guy, uh, How much have you had to drink, sir? Well, I, when I had, I had my friends and I, well, we just had, a, I mean, I did, it, was, it, was, it was way earlier. And without hesitation, <laughs> the, the officer pulls up his radio and goes, or whatever they say in that situation, and then had uh, Mr. Dead Motorcycle Guy sit down on the curb, and he continued to, uh, you know, give me that that death stare. So, so while the paramedics are kind of attending to to this guy, uh, the cop lets lets us and the newspaper guy go because. He says that he knows that we're working and, you know, the other two can stay behind and, and give a statement. So it was a somber final three minutes back to their place. And, and then, of course, I just took a route downtown because that, that's kind of what I do. And, and, you know, it was back to the grind.
I don't know. I mean, in some way, I felt kind of bad for the guy. I wasn't trying to get him stitched up or anything. But at the same time, it, it, it was too late for that, man. I mean, he'd already done what he'd done. It was stupid and stupidly underdressed. We find him there like that. It's too late, man. We don't know how hurt he is or, or what happened. And it's on us to try to do the right thing there, right? Just had to be accepted and grappled with from that point forward. So, well, that's it for us, folks. Thanks for tuning in again if you were with us last week. And if this is your first time with us, welcome and we hope to see you next week. This episode was called Something Strange, Part 1. And there are definitely enough strange stories to do a Part 2 or even a Part 3 or 4 down the line. Next week, we're going to be looking at kickouts. Yeah, I, I think it's time for that. With the Arizona Karen, uh, the I'm gonna kick you in the side of your fucking face lady, the guy who was obsessed with bottles and places to put them, which is kind of hard to explain, and uh, Bridget, just, just Bridget. You'll know who she is when we're done. Driving After Dark is a Guide to Ride podcast hosted by me, Julian Ray. Guide to Ride is an online community aimed at educating gig workers in strategy and business skills and offering support for whatever platform you use. You can find all of our links in the show notes. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, where we'll be starting to release video versions of this podcast soon. And if you liked this podcast, please remember to rate and review us wherever you're listening because that really does help us out. And if you want to go further than that, there's a link in the show notes to set up a small monthly contribution to this podcast to keep us going. Every little bit helps, and I'd have no problem at all just doing this all the time. Again, thanks for coming, thanks for staying, and we'll see you next week on the road. Every driver has their boundaries. I mean, for some, it's only going to be the most dangerous situations that they'll call it. For others, it's going to be about respect, you know? Some drivers will put up with generally anything, really. And me? You could say I'm, I'm kind of a Venn diagram of all of these. On the next show, Something Drastic, Part 1, we're going to dive headfirst into just one of the more drastic things drivers have to deal with, and those are going to be the kickouts. Or when things get so bad, it's time to end the ride and get the hell out of my car. In the world of overnight driving, kickouts aren't exactly common, but they're not super rare either. While most aren't eventful, really, sometimes passengers aren't exactly happy with the boundary. We'll look at just a few of the kickouts I've had over the years, from my first kickout nearly eight years ago, to a ride while driving in Phoenix that took a bit of a turn when a passenger threatened to kick me in the side of my face, and of course, Bridget. Yeah, we're going to talk about Bridget. I mentioned her last episode. Come join me, your host, Julian Ray, where I spill the tea on all these crazy stories I've had as an overnight lift driver these past eight years, answer your questions, and more every other Tuesday on Driving After Dark.